Anchored in Reaching is for curious people who want to explore the story that God is writing in history and who are looking for their own place in that story to find meaning and vibrancy in their life and vocation. I'm Kevin Minoya. Join me each week as Susanna Fleming and I probe the edges of faith and living, always in relation to God who knows you best. For some, it'll be an opportunity to anchor yourself more securely in your faith. For others, it'll be motivation to reach out to engage more broadly. In either case, these conversations should encourage, enlighten, and challenge you. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Anchored and Reaching. I'm Susanna Fleming and I'm here with Dr. Kevin Manoya. Hey everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and we're excited to be having another conversation about theology. Um, following up from the last conversation, if you are listening to this podcast in order, Kevin just did a conversation on descriptive versus prescriptive generous engagement. I know that is a mouthful, but it's really important for us to wrap our minds around and we're going to jump into all the practical ways to live generously as a conduit of the kingdom of God on earth and engage culture. Before we do, uh, a couple episodes ago, we spent some time talking about pluralism. And we want to just circle back to that conversation and talk about pluralism and really differentiate between pluralism and universalism. So this is going to be really important. Kevin, I'm going to have you describe the difference between those two things because I think it can be easy for people to make the assumption that we're talking about universalism, but we're really talking about something different. So, yeah. fire away. Yeah, thanks, Suzanne. I appreciate that. And by the way, I you know I just think this is a lot of fun to do this. Um, the kind of uh, there are folks out there who are following and and subscribing. I hope they uh, I hope they share this a lot. Uh, but some of the feedback that I've gotten, they really like uh, what we're talking about here, and they like the dialogue, and they like the material that it's bite sized but it's substantive. So. So um, thanks, Susanna. Um, Susanna's a pretty bright person, um, <laughs> and uh, I really appreciate the way you bring the the intercultural principles and the thoughtful theological foundations uh, from your experience as a church planter. You've been around the world in in missionary service and and writing and focusing thoughts. So I really appreciate it. Um, Thank you. Yeah, so so the idea that we talked about last time, I've uh, various times uh, I've mentioned the idea that the world is moving into an increasingly pluralistic context, and uh, that that really hit me pretty hard a number of years ago when I was engaging with some of the legislative initiatives in the in the country and uh, trying to figure out how best to engage kingdom thinking with the context of people who think very differently, not just within the church, but across all of culture. And I realize that we no longer live in a dominantly Christian, Judeo-Christian mind, and Mm -hmm. that we live in an increasing pluralistic environment. Um, and that that's really important for us because it affects how we then engage that pluralistic culture. 
But at the same time, uh, it's not the same as universalism because people often conflate those two words and they assume that pluralism equates with universalism. In other words, pluralism, there are many different kinds of people who think very different thoughts about a lot of different things, most importantly about eternal destiny and who is God and does God exist and how does God uh, minister to us and how do we find God um, or how we just live our lives. You know, what's what's right for any one of us? Are behaviors right for me that are wrong for others? And, and we've grown to this pluralism of accepting one another in the differences that we each have, behaviorally, socially, politically. Um, and universalism is something very different. A lot of people assume that if you accept a pluralistic culture, then you are de facto or tacitly assuming that any path leads to God or leads, as it, as it were, to heaven. Well, that's not, that's not true because we remain anchored in our commitment that Jesus is the way, the singular way, but we are reaching into a culture that is increasingly diverse and pluralistic. So universalism really describes um, that every path leads to God. Pluralism simply describes the context of the world and culture and people as being very diverse. Mm -hmm. uh, so they're two very different words. And we're not suggesting by saying that the world is increasingly pluralistic, that somehow universalism is the new uh, word of the day. And that's, that's, you know, so these are very different concepts. And, and, you're, and you're right to bring it up and, and try to drill down and clarify it. Yeah. And it's really important that um, we as Christians understand, you know, pluralism is not some word that we're throwing around to sound smart. This is actually what people talk about <laughs> when they go and study yeah. missions yes. because the world has shifted. And there was a time in which you would see more one-dimensional faith represented in specific cultures. So in the United States, there was a time where Christianity was the dominant religion. That was the waters we were swimming in. But it has shifted. And if we do not understand that, if we don't understand pluralism, it, it's a, it's a socio-cultural observation mm -hmm. about the way that the world has shifted, the way that people are now competing over what religion is right on social media even. I mean, that's expanded the conversation even more. We're, we're so exposed to different ideologies. So what we're not saying, just to reiterate, is that that means that as Christians, when we recognize that the world has shifted, we need to shift our values or vantage point. That's not what we're saying. We still believe that Jesus is the way to the Father. Yes. Whereas universalism would say, oh, look at all these fun ideas. Let's just like give them all equal credit. We're not right. doing that. What we are saying, though, is that we have to recognize that the waters we're swimming in have changed. And if we want to engage this new space as Christians from a missional perspective, we have to change our game as well, <laughs> slightly. Um, I know you mentioned this in just off off camera off recording, but this whole series is called Generous Engagement. And if we lived in a world where everybody had Christian ideologies, it would be super easy for us to be generous as we communicate with people. Because Kevin, I agree with you. You agree with me. Everything's great. It, generosity is natural. But if all of a sudden we're speaking with our, you know, our Muslim brothers and sisters, our Hindu brothers and sisters, or people who do not believe that Jesus is the way to the Father, we have to adjust to be missional agents of redemption 
And in order to do that, <laughs> we have to really work on being generous and almost like tools and techniques of miss- missional living. Yeah, yeah. Does that no, make sense? Absolutely it does. And and I really that's right on point. Uh because I've often said the challenge of the church today and and my challenge today is not a theological challenge. I'm not talking about altering our fundamental anchored identity in our theology. This is not a theological issue. This is a missiological issue. Right. Um, now that's that's a catch-all phrase, but but we're not talking about how do we change what we think about God and how God uh, brings us into salvation. We're talking about how do we who are walking with Jesus, and becoming holy as God is holy. How do we engage an increasing pluralistic culture? Well, that's missiological. That is that is that is an engagement question. It's not a fundamental mm-hmm. identity question. And a lot of universities right. struggle with that because their constituency sees, oh, if you're reaching this population group, then you must be compromising your faith. Well, no, they're not. They're not. They're anchored. But they're reaching into a new pluralism. So you're so absolutely generosity is easy among like-minded people. It's much more difficult in the diversity of pluralism in which we exist today. So so it really does affect how we how we act. And and frankly, I guess one of the takeaways on this, and 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 if you want, we can move into the the, the balance between descriptive and prescriptive. But but I would say that what that means is that rather than coming into a pluralism and in a diverse environment with prejudgment or prejudicial assumptions or with our minds already made up and we need to impose this. What this means is it's incumbent upon Christ followers to say, uh, I live in a different environment. I live in a pluralism. What environment am I in so that I can then respond to that context in bringing the kingdom near? Mm-hmm. And in some ways, this is no different than what Paul was doing when he was ministering to the Greco-Roman world. We see him making specific commentary on specific cultural things that were affecting the way that the church lived out their mission. And so we're really just, you know, going in the footsteps of Christians throughout history who have attempted to live out the gospel, share Jesus with a world that had a different culture. But what's really interesting is that with the world, the way that it has changed and, and, um, become more connected over time. Now we're in a a space where there's not just one or two competing ideas, there's hundreds. And so that's what we're talking about. And I do think we should get into descriptive versus prescriptive um, if you're ready to go there, Kevin. Yeah, I think so. I mean, yes. When Paul walked up to Mars Hill, one of the first words that we read that he said was, I perceive that you in other words, and the sons of Issachar, they knew the times, they understood the times. Okay, so a lot of a lot of of uh, Christ followers today, rather than saying "I perceive" or taking the time to know the signs of the times and and say and perceiving the culture around us, we start with this is what I believe, I need to tell other people what that is. And ostensibly, it's so that they don't die and go to hell, 
right? You know, boycott hell, go to heaven. And if you if you believe what I'm telling you right now, you can. Uh, rather than beginning with that prescription that we impose on people or press into our neighbor or press into the the the, the plurality mm-hmm. or the pluralism of culture, maybe it's important for us to be a little bit more generous and begin to understand what does that different population group, what does that different group in our society, what does that group that doesn't believe what I believe or lives differently or has a different lifestyle, what do they think? Let's be able to say, I perceive how you live. I understand the signs and uh, of the times. Now, Once we do that, then we can begin to find the elements of God's image in them. And we begin to find the elements of kingdom in that place so that we can nurture that and we fuel that. So prescriptive says, you know, we are going to impose our proposition our list of doctrines. We need to get it to them before they die or else they'll go to hell. Uh, descriptive says, where is God at work anyway? Uh, where is the Holy Spirit in this group of people? After all, the image of God is in everybody, so we ought to be able to find that. So let's let's do the hard work of perceiving and discerning within this, and then let's attempt to connect and engage with that to fuel it into yeah. an awakening. So what I'm hearing you say is as we prepare ourselves to go out into the world, we need to basically ask two questions. One is, how can I find commonality with my brother or sister in the fact that we're both created in the image of God? And that's a non-negotiable. We are all created in the image of God, even if we think completely differently. It doesn't mean that we all represent God well to the world. It doesn't mean that we all know the person who is truth, which is Jesus. But it does mean that we're all created in God's image. So we need to ask ourselves that question. How can I How can I build a bridge to this person, right? The second thing we need to ask ourselves is, how is the Holy Spirit already at work in wooing this person to Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit points us to Jesus. And for us to think that the Holy Spirit is only pointing Christians to Jesus is misguided. The Holy Spirit is constantly working to point everyone on earth toward Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And, you know, the Holy Spirit was present at creation. The Holy Spirit has so many roles. When we start to think those, think that way and process those two questions, we are able to move into dialogue that is actually effective and is not coming from a place of pride, but humility as we partner with what God is doing. Um, You use the language of prescriptive versus descriptive. So what we're doing is we're looking at what's happening already and we're describing that. It seems like the Holy Spirit is moving in this way at this time with this person or with this culture. So how am I going to partner with that instead of imposing ourselves on that culture, like you said, with a list of propositional truths? It's good we have truth. We're not saying that's bad, but how do we best infuse that truth into culture. It's usually through pausing and paying attention. And then one other thing I wanted to comment on, um, you mentioned the Sons of Issachar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, for people who haven't like looked into this, it's kind of hidden there. It's this quiet little verse there, but it says so much because we have to understand the times so that we can understand what the church should do. And so if you haven't looked into the Sons of Issachar, check it out. Yeah, well, and when you do, 
uh, what it begins to do is it forces you to come face to face with the need to change a mindset. See, this is uh, being more descriptive than prescriptive is not a formula that we impose any more than because then we're back to being prescriptive. What what we're talking about and, and what I mean by that is that it changes the disposition of our heart. It changes how we think and it changes the starting point of how we engage. So this is not just, well, okay, I just need to see what's out there and make a checklist of everything that I see. No, this starts in me. I have to approach my community and my culture with a different pattern of thinking that says, uh, I am looking for the telltale signs of God in these environments, and I am going to start with those rather than start with the difference and try to fix it by the imposition of a prescription that is fixing their malady, as I think I talked about in the last session. So being more descriptive than prescriptive starts in our heart. It also, what it does is it forces a level of humility in us. It, you know, we we can't be walking around as if we've got the answer to everything. Um, you know, and and furthermore, it it fuels curiosity. A descriptive life fuels curiosity that says, "Wow, I want to learn about you," because I have the confidence that I'm going to find some element of God in you, no matter how different you are. I'm going to find God. I'm going to find God in these places. I'm going to go to the edges and I'm going to see God there. So it fuels our curiosity to see God where God is and then to kind of blow on that or tease that or ins- or, or fuel that until it's like a coal that comes alive, uh, alive in fire. So so this idea really starts in a disposition of our life. I mean, I, I just, I cringe when I hear people talk about us or them, and we've got to go and we've got to impose the the belief, uh, the, 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 the gospel on those people, or beginning with the, the presumption that they are sinners and we got to go and fix that by taking the gospel and don't have anything to do with them because uh, because that's playing footsies with the liberals, so to speak. Does that make sense? Oh, my gosh. <clears throat> yeah, what a phrase. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I know it's okay. I just haven't heard it before. It's awesome. <laughs> eh, maybe it's an old um, school phrase. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kind of, I mean, relevant for all the conversations today. It does make sense what you're saying, and I think maybe a way to really help people grasp this in their own lives is when you have a family member, if you're a Christian listening and you have a family member who is not a believer, if you always start every conversation with that family member with, hey, you need to know Jesus, there is not opportunity for relationship building. There is not opportunity for understanding. You're building a wall between you and that person. And I think most of us understand that. We know that we have to go to Christmas and we have to have fun together and we have to engage together and we have to work through difficult conversations before trust is built enough for them to understand that we mean their best. And so really this idea of descriptive versus prescriptive, again, we're not saying 
prescriptive is wrong. You said so many times, Kevin, it's it's a spectrum. We need both. But mm-hmm. we want to lean toward descriptive because we want to lean toward relationship building. We want to lean toward honoring one another. And when that trust is built, when we have been able to sit back, describe what God is doing already, and then describe what God is doing in our own lives, then maybe then they'll ask us for the prescription to the maladies that they are experiencing. And, you know, Jesus being the great physician, we already have all of the prescriptions we need, right? So I think people can understand it in that way of like, just take that same principle and apply it to to the people down the street in the mosque who don't believe what you believe. Yeah, yeah. Why does every conversation have to start with, but you don't follow Jesus? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, well, uh, basically what we're saying is, you know, can you just be a normal human being for, for a while and let Christ in you <laughs> leak out of you instead of coming in as a three-pound sledgehammer? You know, is it possible? Yeah. I mean, that should be a fortune cookie or some kind of, <laughs> some kind of, I don't know. That's a quote. That's a quote right there. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, what? it's true. And it's, it's really that simple, even though we're using big words, it's really that simple. Yes. 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 Well, th- I mean, this conversation, I mean, I wish we could take another 60 minutes to talk about this and, and we'll get to, and we'll get to more of this kind of conversation in the future episodes, but I just I just feel deeply that this is a deep work of God, and I pray that everybody who hears some of the things that you've said about specifically how to appropriate this and how to live this out in day-to-day living will take it to heart and, and open their heart to the softening, the deepening of God's Holy Spirit to make them permeable people rather than uh, rather than prescriptions that are imposed on others. And I, I just think it's it's it starts with me. It starts with us in our own hearts. Yeah, I agree. And let's go ahead and wrap up. We'll see you next time. Yeah, thank you. Let me encourage you that who you are is more important than what you do. The lure of defining yourself by your performance is stronger than you might think. So join me in upcoming weeks as we explore the whole leader God created you to be.